thank you so much, Jim, for joining me today on the Wave Capital's guest speaker series on relationship building in a team environment. You're my 35th guest. How are you today? I'm great, Garrett. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes. Thanks so much for joining me today and great to have you on as well. Jim, you played in Super Bowl 20. You are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame. So many accolades, consensus All-American back at the University of Pittsburgh, played with my former ESPN colleague, Mark May. You also played with Dan Marino. I even met your former head coach at ESPN, Mike Ditka. So much to talk about, but Jim Covert, as a human being, not just a football player, but as a human being as well, what does relationship building mean to you? Well, I think relationship building is in everything we do. I mean, it's from the first time you, you know, uh, when you're a kid and you're you're kind of friends around the neighborhood that you grow up with. And, um, you know, I think it's a really important part of your life. I mean, a, a lot of people don't take those relationships or I should say maybe they 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 don't invest in them as much as they should. But. You know, I'm very lucky. I have a, a great uh, network of guys that I grew up with, um, and uh, we're still very close today. I uh, I uh, just got back from a trip. Well, not just got back, but this summer I went on a trip to Alaska with a bunch of guys I grew up with. Uh, actually, three of them uh, I went to kindergarten with, so that's about how long ago it was. Um, and we've done it. We did our 50th um, um uh birthday party we went to montana went fly fishing and we went back when we were 60 again and we did this alaska trip because we said hey you know life is too short and uh you know we want to spend as much time together as we can when we have the opportunity to so that's relationships you know i mean it's an important part of your life and um you know i think people should invest in them if they feel like there's something that uh they would like to see continue definitely and you've achieved so much in your life and, you know, want to talk to you about, you know, growing up, your collegiate career, obviously your professional football career with the Chicago Bears. Then you become a businessman and you've been a businessman for many years of so talking about the companies that you've worked with and people you worked with and, you know, how that has shaped you as well as a relationship builder. But let's start from the beginning. I'm fascinated to know more. Talk to me about when you first started thinking that you wanted to play football was in that early age. Did your parents or were there siblings or neighbors or what wanted you to get into uh, football and start your life in that sport? Well, I think where I grew up, Garrett, it's a little bit different from other places, especially growing up in the you know late sixties, early seventies and um, in Western Pennsylvania, you know, I mean, football is, is king there, right? It's not too many other sports. So, um, I started playing football when I was eight, uh, Conway Little Bulldogs, uh, uh, Pee Wee football or Pop Warner football. And then, um, you know, then I had an opportunity to kind of keep playing. And, you know, I started early, my brother and I, and, you know, all the guys in the neighborhood too. So, you know, that was it, right? So then I went to uh, Freedom High School and got a chance to play uh, for a great coach named Chuck Lucidor. And I learned a lot about, um, you know, how to win and how you have to win and, you know, how much hard work you have to do to win and sacrifices and all the things you have to do. I mean, a great coach teaches people a lot of things. And, you know, I, I was very fortunate to play for a guy like him. Um, 
and uh, you know, he turned us into, you know, we were a miserable football team. Uh, uh, we had a guy that uh, just, you know, before that, that, you know, wasn't much of a motivator. I think it was more negative than anything else. And I think a positive uh, person that comes in as a winner and feels like, you know, they can motivate people. It goes a long way. So, we, you know, our first year he was there learning the system. We were a two, seven and one football team. And the next week, next year we were undefeated and won the conference. So that just shows you what positive, you know, reinforcement and, uh, you know, uh, a positive person can come in and make a big difference. So I was very fortunate to learn from someone like him. And taking uh, the time that you spent with him and him molding you as, you know, young men looking into the sport and, and expanding your horizons in the sport beyond high school. I'm sure he was a, has been a mentor along the way. And what got you looking at the University of Pittsburgh? And did you get offers uh, from other teams as well? What helped you decide on that university to play for the Panthers? You know, I think it was a lot of things. I got a lot of offers. Um, I was recruited by, you know, most places, most everybody. Um, so I, I could have went anywhere, but I, I really felt like, you know, Pitt just won a national championship in 1976 with Tony Dorsett. You know, that was my, you know, junior year in high school. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, my senior year in high school, they, you know, Jackie Shiro came back. Johnny Majors went to Tennessee. Jackie Shiro came back and really liked what I saw there and what those guys were able to accomplish uh, the next year and just felt like that was a place for me. I mean, I, I, I went there. I grew up in a small town in western Pennsylvania. Never really went to Pittsburgh very often, only for like a field trip or something. We'd go to the zoo or the museum. <laughs> yeah. So, Never really went there very much, but just fell in love with the place. And the, and I think it was more importantly, just the culture, the winning culture that they had. Um, you know, we didn't have the greatest facilities in the world. We didn't have an indoor facility. You know, we didn't have all those things that other places had, but we had the players. And I think it was all stemming, stemmed from the foundation that Johnny Majors built and then Jackie Shiro carried it forward. So I was very fortunate to play. I mean, I played with, you know, the five guys that I play with on the offensive line, we all started as rookies in the NFL. I think all five defensive linemen started as rookies in the NFL. I played with, you know, uh, you know, had four pro football Hall of Famers on that team. You know, I don't know how many college football Hall of Famers on those teams. So, you know, pretty amazing, pretty amazing. And uh, we're just happy to be part of that. You know, very exciting. And, you know, as I had mentioned um, just a short time ago, uh, you had played alongside my former ESPN colleague, uh, Mark May, who's in the College Ball Hall of Fame, and then your, your quarterback, Dan Marino, at uh, Pittsburgh, went on to also become a fellow College Ball Hall of Famer, and as well as a fellow you know, Pro Football Hall of Famer. Um, talk to me about your relationship with Mark and Dan, as well as the other uh, players who you grew so fondly of uh, at your time in, in college. Well, they were, they were um, great teammates. Um, and, uh, you know, Mark was a few years ahead of me. Dan, uh, Dan and I ended up being, you know, roommates of Pitt, still very close friends. Um, and, uh, you know, we just have those Pitt roots. So we're, we're, we, you know, we talk about Pitt all the time. We try to attend the games when we can. I'm on the board of trustees at Pitt. I'm on the chair of the athletic committee. So, you know, I, I try to get back there as much as I can. 
Um, but it was just such a special place, you know. And then I just really had an opportunity to play for two great coaches. You know, I played for I played for Jackie Shiro, obviously, who's a great coach and really cared about you as a person. And and uh, you know, I'm still close with him today. And then I got a chance to play for I think the greatest offensive line coach in history is Joe Moore. Mm -hmm. We have the Joe Moore Award, which is which is um, is presented every year to the to the to the best college football line in the country. We just presented it to Michigan, first time we had a back to back winner. So, I mean, this whole excuse me, this whole um, uh, coaching staff that I played with and the people that I played with, um, coaching staff of coaches, so they they were just you know, um, all timers. Right. So, I mean, you know, Pitt was a really special place in the seventies and early eighties. And I was just really fortunate to be part of that. And were you involved? Cause you talk about relationship building with people like Dan and, and Mark and all your teammates and all the coaches and coach Moore, who uh, you feel like is the best offensive lineman coach that who's ever lived. Right. I mean, he's so special to you. Uh, in your words, I mean, if you feel that strongly about your coach, I mean, that says a lot because of the impacts that coaches have on their players and, and then the friendships, the relationships the, that last a lifetime. How much were you involved, in, you know, in the community in Pittsburgh? Because you had mentioned that up until going to the University of Pittsburgh, other than a field trip when you were a child or, or, or younger, you had not experienced Pittsburgh as a city. So you talk about the 60s and 70s, and those were defining decades in our country. So in Western Pennsylvania, as a college student and at Pittsburgh, were there things that you've noticed or things that you were part of or that you witnessed? Or were there any examples of relationship building that you could share with me? Well, I think when you're playing college football at a place like Pitt, um, and uh, it, it's very difficult um, to 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 really engage in the community as much as you would want to, just based on the fact that, you know, uh, being a Division One athlete at, at, a, at a place that's in the top five every year where we were, um, pretty hard. Um, it is a full time job, so you know they kept you pretty busy. Um, you know, every once in a while, we were able to go out and and spend some time with folks in the community, and they would get us involved in different things. I think it's way better now because I think Coach Narduzzi does a great job of getting the kids engaged in the community. Right? I mean, they're going to high schools, they're going to local schools. You know, they're doing community events, they're doing fundraisers, they're doing blood drives, they're doing you know all kinds of things. I think it can benefit the community and have more community development and involvement. We just didn't get an opportunity to do that as much. You know, I think I was really lucky because when I got to the Chicago, um, I was able to do a lot of that. And I think it's because, you know, as a professional, you have an off season, you know, you're able to get engaged in the community. You know, I was involved with dozens of charities that I think made a big difference in, in the city. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's it, it's hard to do that when you're that young and you're, you know, you're playing at, at such a high level that we were at that time, Pip. But one thing, you know, when you talk about, I want to just go back to Joe Moore. I just want to say one thing about him real quick is, is that, you know, the one interesting thing about playing football was that, you know, when I went there, I was a defensive lineman and kind of took me a while to find my footing. And, you know, I was immature. Um, and uh, it was 
you know, had a difficult time there my first, you know, couple years of Pitt and actually thought about transferring. And, you know, I, uh, I just, uh, just never found my place, you know, when I first got there. And then after my, you know, right after my sophomore year, you know, coach Moore, I got redshirted because I hurt my shoulder and I went back to, you know, spring ball and coach Moore said, wanted me to move the offense. So I ended up moving the offense and, you know, I had a little bit of confidence problem because of not, playing right away and I was disappointed by that and after my first practice at offensive line he said you're going to be an all-american someday you know and he could have said you know anything right I mean but just that positive reinforcement I would have ran through a brick wall for the guy right so he just expected so much from you and he got it but um he demanded a lot and he wanted to see you be successful. And once you were, he took great pride in seeing you achieve those successes. So this is a guy that, you know, was hard on you. Um, but you know, it, 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 you know, if you got too big for your britches, he'd knock you down a peg or two, but uh, he always never left you down there very long. He always brought you back up. And so much of coaching is, is relationships, right? Finding what makes people tick. Cause you can't, treat everybody the same in coaching just impossible you you treat you know guys that get it and guys that work hard and guys that and guys that show up every day like professionals i don't care if what if it's high school college or 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 the pros and do their job and do it well those aren't the guys you have to coach very much right um it's the guys that could be great that never can they just don't realize it yet right and 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 you just want them to see that potential and once they see it and believe it then they can achieve it and i think that's you know that's what's a great thing about coaching well i mean you bring up an excellent example and and that's part of your life and it's a defining moment in your life and you're exactly right he could have said anything but what he said he meant and he saw the potential in you as a future offensive linemen or soon to be offensive linemen for Pitt instead of on being on the defensive side. And he saw great potential in you. And that one thing, the most important thing he could have said to you gave you confidence and it made you change your whole perspective on that part of the sport and being a part of the offensive line. And he gave you the confidence, not just because he said it, because he saw the potential and he knew you were going to be an all American. He was exactly right. You know, you were consensus All-American at Pitt, you know, and when you got to the, the Bears, I mean, you made the all-rookie team. You were recognized, uh, you know, on the all-rookie team in the NFL. And then by 1986, you were Offensive Lineman of the Year in the National Football League. So when you think about what Coach Moore did for you and, you know, what you did for him and what you did for the team, and obviously it takes a village, right, to have a successful organization, whether it's a company or whether – you know, it's a football team, a family where people might worship in a church or a synagogue, where, where have you. You felt like, and you said it yourself, that you'd run through a brick wall for him. You'd do anything for him. So it's what that speaks to is that that he was like the missing puzzle piece to you and bridging that gap to the next stage in your career. So when you transferred on to, or when you transitioned and you got drafted by the Chicago Bears in the first round, how was that transition like for you? Because you talked about how much active you were as a professional in the community in Chicago. What was so exciting about playing for the Bears? Obviously, you know, you won Super Bowl 20 with 
with the Bears, but when you got to Chicago, did you feel like, hey, this is the right place for me? Well, at first, I think I didn't really expect to be drafted by Chicago. They never really reached out to me. I got reached, you know, a lot of teams did reach out to me. I expected to get pick, you know, in the top 15 picks. Um, and uh, at least the way I, I was, you know, what, what, what I was, you know, my agent was told and what we were told. So I felt pretty good about that. Um, and then kind of the first five, six picks got, the first five picks got shuffled around a little bit because of the John Elway thing, right? And he got picked number one, but there was going to get traded. And then you had Chris Hinton, you picked, I think, fourth or something. So those guys swapped it. And then, you know, I kind of fell to the Bears. So, you know, um, it was interesting because when I got there, you know, I mean, we we weren't a very good football team. You know, we had a lot of great talent, but we just weren't a team, you know. And uh, I really believe that 83 draft is what took us over the top because you had, you know, a lot of great players in there that came in and played and, and started as rookies, uh, which is rare. Um, but, you know, I think we helped build that momentum there and it was pretty, pretty good to see. So, um but just, you know, getting there, I mean, we we lost a lot of games, you know, out of the gate. And, um, you know, I think I lost, you know, in the three years I started to pit, we were 33 and three, uh, 79, 80 and 81. The three years I started, we were, uh, I think we lost uh, four or five games total. So I lost more games in like eight weeks and I lost in, you know, three to four years of pit. Right. So, um we just had a lot of work to do, you know, and there were just a lot of guys that were there just, you know, weren't willing to pay the price. So they just weren't a lot around very much longer. And uh, we do, we were on a mission and, you know, either you were with us or, or not, you weren't going to be. And I think that was the, that was the, that was the kind of mantra that we had. Well, you played with one of the guys who you know, I met back in 2005 at a golf tournament called the Hootie Celebrity Golf Classic. You know, Michael Jordan's longtime friend, Fred Whitfield, who is a minority owner in the Charlotte Hornets. You know, Michael Jordan being the chairman of the Hornets. But Fred Whitfield, a longtime friend of Michael's, Fred, you know, hosted for many years the Hootie Celebrity Golf Classic. And back in 2005, I attended with my father. I met Michael Jordan for the first time, fellow Chicago athlete. And with all the Bears success in the 80s, you know, Michael Jordan brought so much success to the Chicago Bulls. So wanted to know if you had a, a relationship with Michael and, and if so, you know, what that has been like. But I wanted to show you something really cool. And uh, it's uh, a signed autograph by your teammate, uh, Richard Dent, and he was a Super Bowl MVP for Super Bowl 20. Talk about what an athlete Richard was like in what type of friendship you had with Richard and maybe you could provide some insight of what led you guys to a 15 to one record in the regular season. And then on to winning Super Bowl 20, what was so special about that year and your, your friendship with Richard, who I got to know well, and, and then we could talk about Michael. <laughs> uh, well, Richard and I are uh, really good friends and, um, you know, I played against him every day in practice and, um, I think I said this in my Hall of Fame speech. Sometimes I did we didn't like each other very much, but you know, we made each other better. And um he had a great first step and he had a great pass rush and he wasn't so good against the run early on. And then he became excellent against the run and 
just was such a great all around player and, you know, one of the best defensive ends of all time. So, I mean, you can't, can't argue with that. Right. So I, uh, I have a tremendous lot of amount of respect for him. We were rookies together. Um, and like I said, we played against each other every day and we're really good friends till this day. So um, I think that's what relationships are about. Right. I mean, you, you, you know, it was interesting because early on we weren't particularly close. Um, and then, um, but we practiced against each other every day and we respected each other. And then I think as our career got a little bit further down the road, we became closer. And then even after I retired, we became even closer than that. So he's, he's, he's one of my best friends. He's a, he's a great, great person. So, um, and lucky to have him in my life, but, you know, then with Michael, I've, I've known Michael for a long time. I've known him uh, since he's come in our locker room um, starting like 84, right. When he came into the league and um I mean, he's always treated me great, and I just have a tremendous amount of respect for him. Uh, he's a great person, genuine, treats people great. Um, you know, it's interesting to see you got a guy that's, you know, the, uh, one of the most recognizable people in the world, right? And you you see him, how he treats people is uh, pretty impressive. So I, I really have a lot of respect for Michael. I think he's a great person. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I had the privilege of, as I said, you know, meeting Richard, and I'm so happy to hear that Richard had such a profound impact on your life, and you're like the best of friends. And then at the same time, meeting Michael, and I have a picture with him above my right shoulder, you can see on the screen, that was when I was 17, I'm 34 now. So that was like half my life ago. <laughs> uh, but what, you know, when you're 17, and you have the opportunity and, and the privilege to meet you know, guys like Michael Jordan or another fellow um, Chicago Bull who then became a New York Knick and played for other teams, Charles Oakley. You know, I got to know Charles Oakley. And then, you know, there was like Greg Anthony and there was uh, Alonzo Mourning and Chris Paul and, you know, just athletes of different generations too. And the late Joe Morgan, who was a phenomenal Hall of Fame baseball player. I, I just think about that time and, you know, not too many 17-year-olds have the opportunity to be invited to a golf tournament. And my dad actually golfed with Richard Dent. So Richard that year was paired up with uh, one of the golf teams and it happened to be my father's golf team. So my dad got to golf with Richard and three of his associates. So every other athlete, whether it was Michael or others, Charles Oakley, others, um, they were each paired with one organization that obviously contributed money toward you know, Hoop T Celebrity Golf Classic. And, you know, there's a foundation that's tied to it. And I was actually enrolled in an Achievements Unlimited basketball camp that Fred Whitfield had started uh, many years before I ever attended there. And it became a tradition. So while I was in the basketball camp and the chief marketing officer of the Hornets, well, back at the time, his wife, she would, you know, drive me to and from the hotel to the, to the, to the camp. And, her son at the time would always be in the car with us because she'd be picking him up from school and dropping him off. And then he became a college basketball player. You know, hopefully um, he has aspirations to go on to, to play in the NBA if, if that's his choosing. But it just it just brought me back great memories because from that point on, as I continued to meet other fellow professional athletes who then became businessmen like yourself, I always just think back to that time because I think that was the pivotal moment for me Jim, where I felt like I started learning about relationship building because of all the people I met there, 
I never wanted to lose touch. I wanted to get their phone numbers, their email addresses. I wanted to write their names on three by five cards. And I've kept in touch with the chief marketing officer at the Hornets, Seth Bennett. And I just talked to Fred Whitfield by the by the phone today, uh, who works with Michael at the Hornet. So to hear that you had a, a relationship with Richard and you've had a relationship with Michael, I mean, that's that's pretty special to talk. Yeah. Yeah, they're great people. So, you know, you meet people in your life that are pretty impressive and have gone on to great things. And uh, like I said, you know, that's part of the journey, right? And it's, uh, it's uh, you're, you know, you you got to count yourself fortunate when you can... Uh, experience uh you know different things and different cultures but have friends that you've been you know known and for a while it's uh pretty cool that is awesome and so tell me about that super bowl year super bowl 20 and, and that 15 and one season talk to me about just over the course of that season what gelled what worked for you guys to and to and to reach the mountaintop and win and be super bowl champion well i, th- I think that it started a year before that um, when, you know, we got to the NFC championship game and we got beat by the 49ers, it was a humiliating loss. You know, we didn't have our quarterback, Jim McMahon wasn't healthy, but we did get to the NFC championship game and we just couldn't produce, you know, any offensive firepower. We just, we got past the the Redskins in a playoff game at their place. Um, you know, defense had a lot to do with that and, and, uh, and we ended up getting past them, but we just couldn't generate it at, at, uh, at San Francisco and we got beat. We kept it rather close first half and then they beat us in the second half. We just couldn't get anything going. So, you know, I just remember leaving there and there, there were, uh, you know, a lot of the 49er players were saying, Hey, you know, bring an offense next time, you know? So I think that really generated a lot of, um, uh, fuel for us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, on the offensive side of the ball, um, and uh, on the defensive side of the ball, you know they were they were coming into their own. But what people don't remember earlier in that season is, I mean, we came from behind in the first three games of the year that year as an offense, right? I mean, I think we were losing twenty eight to seven or something at halftime against the, uh, Tampa Bay in the first game of the year. You know, mm-hmm. so our offense really came to play that year and scored a lot of points early and uh, was able to, uh, you know, keep in the football games and win those football games where theoretically, I mean, if you think about it on the way they started, we could have lost all three of them. We started 0 and 3. So, you know, I think our offense had something to do with the success of that team more than people give a credit for. I mean, we led the league in rushing, led the league in time possession. We were second in the league in scoring, led the league in first downs makes your defense pretty good you know and then they got their stride and off they went I mean they I mean it's I think it's the greatest defense ever assembled I mean it's you can just watch it and feel the hits right so I mean uh, (laughs) I just think that a combination of that together um was what made that team special and that's how we won the Super Bowl absolutely and talk about your relationships with Walter Payton and Mike Ditka yeah, well, Peyton was, I mean, he was like a mentor. I mean, I really, uh, uh, you know, was uh, you know lucky because Matt Suey and I were roommates on the road and Walter and Matt were friends. And um, I was friends, obviously, with Walter and Matt were really close. And um, and so he was always in our room anyway. He was the only one that had a single room. I mean, all of us had to share a room. So Matt was my roommate. So he was in our room most of the time anyway. So. <laughs> 
and we got a chance to uh you know become pretty close so um just he was just such a special person i mean he treated everybody the same i mean i don't care if you were a first round draft pick or a free agent i don't care if you were a person with no dollars in your pocket or a billionaire he treated you the same and yeah that's that's a gift. I mean, it's the same thing with how he talked to people. He talked to you like you were the most important person in the world to him at that time. And that's a gift too. So um, pretty, pretty special guy. And, and, you know, Mike Dick, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Mike. He, you know, he, uh, he was the right person at the right time, the right coach for that team. And uh, he did a great job and, you know, brutally honest. Sometimes you didn't want to hear it. Um, but, um, but like I said, it was the right person at the right time. And I think he did a great job. And I mean, the the proof is in the pudding. We won a Super Bowl, So that was, he was hired to do and he did it. So definitely, definitely. And, you know, I met him briefly and had a brief conversation with him when I worked at ESPN and it was just an honor to even, you know, meet him. And he was, he definitely was the right coach at the right time for you and your team and he had a very outspoken personality but he knows football and he has every right to be outspoken because you know he led your team and he knew exactly what it took to win and he knew that his players and his staff were also needed to help him guide your team to a Super Bowl and to win a Super Bowl so I think it's forever known as one of the best, if not the best defenses in in NFL history. So to think that you started your career as a defensive lineman, and then to think that you're on a Super Bowl winning team on the, on offensive line. And then for your friend, Richard Dent, who is a great legendary defensive lineman, it's amazing how, you know, life just takes you down a path that you never thought could be possible with people who enter your life and the people who play their respective positions and fill his or her roles in any organization, whether it's a football team or a company or or what have you, but you are part of a very special team and you're, you are a very special talent, but, you know, with relationship building, just because you retire from a sport doesn't mean that you can't take on other roles and in other capacities and to continue, you know, learning and growing and being mentors to others and, and educating yourself on other areas of life. So when you retired, I believe in 1993, what was crossing into your mind, you know, going into a new decade and, you know, you're, you know, that your playing days are you know, behind you, what led you into the business world and, and talk to me about those experiences? Well, I was I was lucky. I my my last year was was um was uh I was on IR in 91, so I retired early late 91 early 92 and um you know, I, I we didn't make the kind of money that these guys make today, obviously. So, you know, if you wanted to have a lifestyle that you were pretty used to and um that you wanted to uh maintain, you had to you know, had to actually work for a living, right? Um not a little bit different today. So, um, I don't know. I just, I just was looking around to see what I wanted to do. And, you know, like I said, Chicago is one of the greatest places, you know, greatest, greatest cities in the world. If you're a professional athlete, you know, to, to, to stay in and work. So I was able to network through a lot of different avenues. And, you know, like I said, I, I was involved in the community. So, you know, there were several charitable organizations I was involved in and you had CEOs that were involved with that. So I was able to network through some of, some of those avenues and 
other places as well. And, um, and then I, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, be hired by Baxter Healthcare Company and, uh, and started my career there in early 92. And um, it was great because I had a great uh, mentor, a guy named uh, Vern Laux, who was the chairman and CEO of Baxter Healthcare. Um, and, uh, then my first boss, Paul Zimmerman was a great coach and got me involved in, you know, all pieces of the business. So we had an outpatient, we were part of Caremark and we had outpatient physical therapy clinics, uh, regionally. And, uh, you know, I, I jumped in with both feet cause I figured, Hey, I'm going to learn this business from the ground up and I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I am, you know, understand each piece of this business from, you know, from when a patient comes in, how they get treated, um, you know, billing, um, you know, verifying insurance, um, you know, uh, all the kind of uh, uh, operational kind of aspects of that as well, and uh, and the financial perspective as well um, on uh, on those businesses. And I was very lucky; um, had like I said, had great mentorship. So. I was very uh, fortunate and just that's how my career started. And then I progressed into business development and M&A, sales and marketing, and just got experience. And I just I just tried to treat it just like, you know, playing sports. If you're prepared and you work hard and, and you work as hard as anybody else or better, as long as you can get in there and do the job uh, and perform, um, and work hard, you're going to, good things are going to happen. Right. And if you don't, um, you know, you can expect the result. Right. So absolutely. I was very lucky and worked hard. And I just said, no one was going to outwork me. I was going to work as hard as I could to learn the business. And once I was able to get in and in, in where I was comfortable, uh, then I was, uh, I was going to be successful at, so I was very uh, fortunate. And was it a comfortable transition? You know, I could have used the word easy, but it was it a comfortable transition because you knew that whether it's playing college football or professional football, it takes a certain amount of work ethic, discipline, focus, you know, all the intangibles, all of the camaraderie that you have to build with your teammates and playing for your coaches. And, you know, they expect, you know, certain results every Sunday and, and every day leading up to Sunday in practice and then obviously taking care of your body and eating the right foods and, you know, with a healthy diet and, you know, working out in the weight room and, you know, studying your, you know, different formations on the football field. And, you know, you have such an integral part of a football team as an offensive lineman. So and even made the Pro Bowl twice, right, on top of all that, which is so exciting because that just showed that you were the best person in your position in that given year and you were recognized as a two-time pro bowler and rightfully so because you know you um, are one of the best in your position in, in league history so i guess getting into the professional world outside of football and being in the medical industry in the business industry or the financial industry if you will was it the same approach i mean did you think that hey i'm i'm really looking at the business world the same way I looked at the professional ranks in, in, in the NFL I'm you know studying I'm talking to people I'm you know gathering information I'm learning the ins and outs of the business I want to be well versed and have a strong knowledge base and feel confident when I'm speaking to people or in a negotiating 
room or on a team. And, you know, talk to me about the attributes that you had to carry over from your career into the profession. Well, and like I said, I, th I think if you, you know, what I talked about before is hard work, dedication, perseverance. You know, I think the football players are just not words. I mean, there's something you have to live by, right? Because if you don't do those things, you're not going to be very successful. And I think any endeavor that you take on, whether it's in sports or business, you have to have the same mindset. And so that's exactly what I did. And I think, you know, and for me, especially, I think I had to work even harder. And the reason I did was because, you know, being a professional athlete, you know, people, you know, I, I, let's put it this way, for as many doors that it opened up, being a professional athlete, it closed just as many. Because people thought, well, this is just another dumb jock. I mean, why should I listen to him? Um, you know, where did he go to business school? Where did he go to college? Where did he do this? Why Why am I even talking to him, right? So um, you had to work at it. I mean, you had to prove to people uh, that you uh, were ready to put in the work and you were ready to understand the business and you had a definite kind of um, commitment. And if you didn't, then you probably weren't going to be around very long. And I think it's the same as the NFL. I mean, that's why they call it the NFL, not for long, right? So if you are if you're don't do the same type of, have the same type of work ethic, um, you're not going to be around for very long. So I, yeah, I try to do the same thing in the business world. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I didn't, didn't think of the acronym NFL as not for long, but it's, you know, so true because I mean, there are guys that who are destined for greatness, but then maybe an injury cuts their career short. And I think back when you were playing, if a guy got injured, that could be career ending maybe not just even season ending, it could be career ending. Now, if a guy gets hurt, whether it's an ACL or MCL, or maybe it's, you know, a shoulder injury or a back injury, if they're out six to eight months, you know, with the right sports medicine practices and the right trainers and the, the right professionals who are, and the doctors who perform the surgery in world-class, and I'm sure it was world-class at the time, you know, back in the eighties and early nineties, when you were playing, but you probably look at the game now and say, wow, it's so great that the NFL has improved in a lot of ways. But do you ever think that there are some things that you see in the NFL now that you wish still existed back then? Because I feel like humility is sometimes lost, you know, on a professional athlete nowadays, where, you know, when you talk about your relationship with Walter, uh, Walter Payton, that, that is, and how he was so humble and when he was talking to you, he made you feel like you're the most important person he was talking to at that time. Do you feel like that still exists, relatively speaking, at a comparable level now? Or do you think that there's less humility now in, in professional uh, sports? And I guess that can also change the definition maybe nowadays with respect to relationship building. But in my opinion, and probably you would agree that relation building is universal no matter what decade you you play a sport or no matter what decade you work at a company right yeah no i i don't know i mean i i think um the nfl is not only a business but it's it's performance and people want to see more offense and people want to see touchdown celebrations and people want to see those kind of things because they're fun and um 
when you take a guy like Walter Payton, you know, he always said, you know, why are you celebrating when you make it to the end zone? You should show people that, you know, you've been there before, right? Not that big of a deal. <laughs> and he's there over a hundred times, right? So sure. Um, yeah. So uh, when you go celebrate all the time, it's like, you know, what's the big deal? I do this all the time. Right. So, um, but I think fans like to see it. I think, uh, you know, people that watch it, sponsors, you know, whatever, just like to get, you know, get th that energy, right? The energy of scoring a touchdown and celebrating and doing all that. And, you know, I think social media has a lot to do with that. You know, guys are really kind of concerned or uh, interested in, you know, what their followers are and how many people they have and all that kind of stuff. We never had to worry about that because we didn't have the internet, right? We didn't have those types of things. Um, uh, and so we weren't really that interested. And I think if that, you know, if you would have maybe go in a time machine and take all those things back there, um, probably half the guys wouldn't have been on the team because they would have broke curfew and been out and someone would have filmed them and they would have taken a, a shot of them. And, you know, and, and so uh, it's just different now. And I mean, there's a lot of tough guys playing in the NFL. There's a lot of great athletes. There's a lot of great guys. And, you know, I, I, I think it's great. I have no problem with that. I mean, if guys want to celebrate, I have no problem with it because it's on them. Right. Because then they better be able to back it up next time. Cause someone's definitely going to feel like, uh, you know, let's see you do this again. Right. So, um, uh, you know, that's about competition. Definitely. And, and well said, and, you know, it speaks for itself too, where you just see how the evolution of sports on the one hand, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, hockey, tennis. I, I mean, some games and the rules change more than others, but at the end of the day, it's always going to be performance-based. I mean, we live in a performance-based world. It's not just in professional sports. It's in, your personal life, raising a family, it's all about, are you equal to the task with your spouse, you know, raising your children? I'm a new father. And so my wife and I, we share responsibilities equally and we love each other with our, with, with all of our might. We just, we're, we have a seven week old son this Friday and, you know, we love him so much and, you know, family. Congratulations. That's Thanks. awesome. I did all that too. Now you better get up for the uh, you stay up for the 12 o'clock feeding and then you better be, get up for the five o'clock feeding too. Cause I did all that stuff and I'm just thankful that I did, you know, um, it just gave me a different perspective on raising kids. And, you know, my mom had all four of us in five years and, you know, with, you know, um, a little bit different times. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I was very fortunate to be really involved and do all those things as well. So, well, well, talk talk to me about that with the few minutes we have left. But talk to me about what family is, you know, meant to you because my wife and our child, you know, means everything to me. And obviously, my parents and her parents. I mean, she comes from a big family. My family is a little bit smaller, but you know, family matters to us our faith matters to us but for you growing up in western pennsylvania you know talk to me about your town and what growing up was like in western pennsylvania the relationships you had with your with your parents or siblings and then how that 
extrapolate it out to you raising your own family and you thinking back to those memories of the 12 p.m. or 5 a.m. bottle feedings, because I mean, every little moment counts, you know, every experience matters. You know, that's great. Yeah, my I was really fortunate. I had great parents. And, um, you know, I always said that I didn't have far to look for role models that they were right down the hall. So I was really fortunate. You know, my dad was a steel mill worker. Um, I learned about work ethic from both my parents. You know, my dad worked in a mill. And then um, he, he did like three jobs. He worked in the mill and then my grandfather had a painting business on the side. So he, you know, my grandfather worked in the mill for 44 years. So he would help with that. And then uh, when he worked night turn one week a month, he would come home and shower and go out in the Sears and Roebuck moving truck for another eight hours delivering appliances. So, you know, he did that for like 20 years, one week a month. So, I mean, it, it I learned a lot and my mom worked at JC Penney's part-time and, you know, she did that. So, um, we, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, but we, uh, you know, we were able to be, uh, you know, those, that, that, uh, middle-class kind of, um, uh, time and we did that. And, uh, you know, I had great, I had a brother and two sisters and I was the youngest. So, um, I probably took more heat than the rest of them because I think my dad lost all his patience by that time. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I had great, great siblings as well. So, I mean, you know, a lot of guys don't have that opportunity to have great parents like that. And I did. So, I mean, I'm very fortunate with that. And then my own family, my wife and I have three kids and they're all great kids. Uh, they're all unique in their own way. Um, they're all adults now, uh, two are married, but they're doing fantastic. And you know what, that's what life's about, right? Is, is raising kids and seeing them, you know, be successful and seeing them be out on their own and doing those things. So, uh, my wife and I are very fortunate to have great kids and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, but it's a journey as well, right? I mean, it's a journey and our, our, um, are, uh, you know, I'm just glad to be kind of a passenger on it and, and watching my kids and how they're developing as well. And just waiting for grandkids, no grandkids yet. So I'm waiting for that. So and how many children do you have? I have three kids. Yeah. Uh, two boys and a girl. My girl's in the middle. Uh, my, uh, my younger son, Scott, and is married. Jessica's married. And my oldest son, Casey's the holdout. Um, he's not married yet, but we're hoping for some grandkids one day. And uh, that's my wife and I are hoping. How long have you and your wife been married? My wife and I have been married for 39 years. We'll be married for 40 years, May 14th. Wow, that's amazing. My parents are going to be married 40 years, April 17th. Yeah. So they were also married in 1983. We were, in, uh, we were March, or May 14th. Uh, 1983. So, yeah. And, you know, and that's another thing, you know, when you have the opportunity to, you know, uh, to, uh, you know, to spend, um, you know, to, to marry someone you love and then spend your life with them and, and have children and, and grow together. I, that's, that's incredible. A lot of people don't have an opportunity to do that. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I think sometimes it's easy, to, easy to kind of, um, 
uh, to just kind of call it quits, right? Or say, I don't want to do this anymore. Or maybe it gets a little bit difficult. You know, I mean, it gets difficult in a lot of things. It gets difficult in, in your personal life, gets difficult in your work life, gets difficult in a lot of things. I mean, what makes it special is persevering through those, right? And right. working hard. And I think uh, that's what makes it special. Yeah, absolutely. And, and perseverance. I've one of my first mentors, he was my first mentor back in high school. And he was my high school history teacher, Mr. Uh, Bradshaw. He had a JD, so Dr. Bradshaw in the legal profession, but big sports fan, also from Pennsylvania, grew up a Philadelphia Phillies and Eagles fan, also from Pennsylvania and 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 now in Florida for many years. And, and one of the things he had said to me was that, you know, I have the perseverance necessary for the long haul. I only say that, you know, because I wanted to bring up my mentor and what he said about me, because I've always lived by that. I've always lived by having perseverance necessary for the long haul. And I feel that, you know, talking to you, Jim, uh, you're a man of great perseverance because, you know, you speak about it, you know, with your wife and marriage. You talk about it even in your college days at Pittsburgh with Coach Moore. And obviously getting into the NFL and, you know, the first couple seasons were difficult with the Bears. And then, you know, a short time later, you're Super Bowl champions. I mean, you've experienced it in, in each aspect of your life. And what messages do you have for your kids who are, you know, growing up in 2022? You know, I'm, I'm a millennial. What advice do you have for you know, younger generations in 2022 that you wish certain things or certain principles were instilled back when you were growing up and you wish that were instilled today? Well, I think, I think a lot of those things are still here. I think a lot of those, I think a lot of those principles of perseverance and work ethic, hard work and all those things, I, th I think are still there. You know, I, I just think maybe sometimes they get overshadowed by other things i think they get overshadowed by you know uh a little bit of narcissism where people want to put their stuff on you know facebook and on you know all these social media platforms and want people to like them and if they don't like them then they feel like there's something wrong with them you know i mean uh, yeah it, it's not always about them right it's about other people as well so I think social media in some ways has been incredibly beneficial to to our you know world in general, right? I mean, the things that it's alerted you to and the disasters and other things and you know, just whatever. Um the amount of information that you can see is incredible, right? Um, but I think a lot of times what happens is when it be, turns inward and becomes more narcissism, that's when you start looking at it like, you know. Every day you got to wake up and look at your phone and say what someone said about me or what messages I got or what I did. Or I think it was much better when you had one telephone in the house and, uh, you know, it was a rotary dial phone and, uh, you know, you couldn't call long distance on it because you weren't allowed and um, you didn't get very many phone calls and uh, life was simpler. Life was simpler. And I think it, uh, and I think that coming from a little bit more simpler life, I think then you were able to have some a value system you were able to establish, right? That I think is allowing you to, like I talk about persevering and, and overcoming, um, uh, you know, difficulties and challenges, 
and now when you have this kind of structure that is is more driven through you know what can I not going I what can I do for someone else what can I do to make my brand better what can I do to make myself better what can I do that and and, and it's more selfish in nature that I think it's hard to have those principles take root right and I think that's difficult so I wish we'd get back a little bit more no that sounds old-fashioned but I think maybe if you had a little bit more of that in the world it'd be world would be a better place well, you know, you speak, you know, from the heart and, you know, I can definitely relate to you. I mean, my wife's parents are going to be married, you know, 42 years in 2023. Their anniversary is April uh, 26, 1981. You know, it's great. I've always considered myself an old soul. My wife and I, we feel like we're old souls, modern, but, you know, we have those old soul type of uh, personalities and, you know, what you speak about, you know, my wife and I, you know, grew up listening to those same messages. And I feel ironically saying this, but, you know, we kind of feel like dinosaurs too, because the baby boomers, those their messages for their children could always be, you know, front and center. You know, I can't speak to younger generations. I, I believe I can relate to them, but I had baby boomer parents. I mean, parents who are similar to in age to you. So your messages are or what I can relate to. And I'm always, you know, with relationship building, you want to be able to relate to not just, you know, maybe your generation or your parents' generation, but other generations. So that as a society, you can coexist with, you know, people who may have, you know, differences of opinion or ideas, uh, but at the same time, in the same light, rather, Everybody understands what hard work is. Everybody understands what what performance is, and, and being you know true to your word and having having integrity, and uh, you know being honest and forthright, and doing the best job uh, possible with every God given talent that he or she has. So that's what relationship building means to me, and I, I sounds like a relationship building means to you the same way. Yeah, you're right. You're right, and I think you hit it right on the. Ed, you're spot on. And, you know, I just, you know, I would just encourage, you know, people to, uh, that are, you know, mentoring people that are trying to get people to, you know, understand, you know, the value of hard work, the value of, 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 um, of, you know, a set of values that I think are really important. People, people do mission statements all the time. People do mission, vision, value statements all the time for work and, you know, in your company, but, you know, like what's your mission statement, right? I mean, what's your, what's your um, vision, right? I mean, what do you aspire to as a person? And then, you know, what's your values, you know, and I think doing some personal mission, vision, values is an important thing as well, right? If you're a young executive starting out, trying to break into the world, you know, what's your foundation, you know, how, do, how, how are you going to build your, you know, business off of, right? And I think building a foundation is really important. And I think doing one of those for yourself is, I think, pretty valuable. Absolutely. And also giving back to the community. And you're so very much involved in the community. Are you doing any community-related events uh, this Christmas season? No, I'm not this Christmas season, but, um, you know, I work a lot with um, Gridiron Greats, which is, uh, you know, a charity that Mike Dicka started. Um, 
and you know we're 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 really uh, out there to help a lot of players who played in the league a long time ago that just do not have the you know uh, financial wherewithal for you know doctors appointments transportation you know uh, you know uh, housing uh, food so all those things so really I think it's uh, you know Karen Wright does a great job there Mike Dick has started with Jerry Kramer and I just try to help out with that as much as I can and then some other local ones as well too so we're having that uh, around Super Bowl, that cigar dinner that raises a lot of money, but uh, nothing around the holidays, just going to spend time with the family. That's wonderful. And I'm so happy that you work with your former coach, Mike Ditka, on something very special and giving back to the community and also helping former players who definitely need your support, Jim, as well as your coach, uh, Ditka. Any last words about relationship building in the team environment that we haven't covered before we depart from our interview? No, I think we covered a lot of ground, Garrett. I think it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting approach that you're taking with, uh, with on the business side of it. And I think relationship building is so important in any aspect, not just in your personal life, but in your business life as well. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's hard work, though. I mean, it's, it's culture. And, you know, building a great culture in a company is about relationships, right? And how you treat people and how you want to be treated. And I think that's important. So I think you're doing a great service here. So congratulations. Well, thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate it. Anything I can do to give back to my audience and people who can learn so much about these interviews and listening to these episodes and your episode will definitely be memorable and i plan on writing a book on relationship building and team environment and featuring you in one of the chapters of my book so i look forward to staying in contact with you having many more conversations and you know updating you on my podcast and, and my book thank you again jim for being with yeah. me today on the wave capitals guest speaker series on relationship building and a team environment merry christmas to you and thank you, thank you same to you and uh, same to you and your wife and congratulations again Thank you so much, and congrats to you and my best to you and your family as well. You, you take care. Okay, you got it. Thanks. God bless. Bye-bye. Yeah.